The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Well, welcome. Glad you're all here. We're going to go to Acts chapter 10. So this series, we're talking about heroes and villains, people that maybe are not so well known in the scriptures and stories that are familiar and and that kind of thing. I want to talk about a character who is pretty well known and and how it is that sometimes followers, well-meaning, well-intentioned, become villains in, 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 in working against God's movement. Now, some of you have been in churches where you left that church because I'm willing to think at some level you might have thought, if this is what God is about, I, I can't do this. However, you have come here because you're thinking in terms of you, you wanted to, you know, that, that still was a belief you held. It's just that it wasn't expressed in the way that you thought made sense. Follow? Okay. So... I, I know that it, it's, it's easy for followers of Christ to become enemies to God's movement and God's kindness and God's expression. And so in Acts chapter 10, there's a story that, we're, that we'll read. I'm just kind of giving you a setup here. Um, this is about three, four months after Pentecost, you know. So, okay, so Jesus was crucified and he died. 50, later, 50 days later, there was this, there's this you know, in, very unusual expression of the power of God and the Holy Spirit on 120 or so believers and they're speaking in foreign languages and, and the movement's still going. Peter becomes his spokesperson on behalf of the life of Jesus. And he explains Jesus to all these visitors to Jerusalem. Remember, this is a huge festival going on. So there's, it, it's a religious festival, all right? And then so people are out and doing and and it's always kind of a funny story to me. So there's these individuals that start speaking in a foreign language because these were Jews from around the world who have other cultures and languages, but ethnically still Jewish. And so the first thing they assume is that they were drunk, which of course, you know, when you're drunk, you always speak French much more clearly than you ever do. You know, you gain the gift of Italian for some reason. You know, you don't even, you can't even handle the gift of English, let alone a foreign language, so why they thought they were drunk. And then, but Peter's answer was funny. He goes, no, it's only 9 a.m. Like it's, <laughs> it's like, if it was 5 or 6, that might be a possibility, but it's just too early, you know? I always like that expression, explanation of Peter. Nonetheless, so, but he gets up to speak, and he talks about the life of Jesus, and, there, and the scripture said 3,000 people said, I'm in, which is amazing to me. And, and life goes on. And then there's different little stories happening in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is almost like 20, 30 years of, 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 of history in about the first church. You know, the believers that were first trying to figure out, what does Jesus mean? What does it mean to be a, a disciple, student, follower of Jesus? And even though Peter saw all these Jewish men and women come to Christ, there was still a gap for him in his thinking. That somehow you had to be Jewish first to be a follower of Jesus. And uh, in fact, there was a big meeting over this whole thing. How Jewish do you have to be to become a follower of Jesus? You know, Acts 15, I think it is. And, And I'm glad that it fell on the side of just grace and kindness on God's behalf because you know you can imagine 
evangelism, you know, think of a big crusade or something going on and all these followers feel, yes, I want to decide to follow Jesus. Great. Step over here for the surgery. You know, I mean, it'd be like, not so many takers, I don't think, you know. Um, or even if you were trying to explain Jesus to a friend, yes, I think, I think I want to become a follower of Jesus. Awesome. Let me get my knife. There's a little procedure first we have to do. <clears throat> but, but Peter really, for a while, had a challenge with the notion that God loved humanity, not just Israel. And, and I think at times we can be that person as well. We're in our head. We are, we are I think most of us are, are, are fine with doubters and freaks. In fact, we might find them more interesting in some levels. <clears throat> but, but there's going to be that group, person, type, individual that we're, you know, we're, they wouldn't be interested they're not going to get it. Um, they're way too out there or something. Something. I don't care what it is. Everyone has a limit. And so Peter's going to get challenged in his view. Chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what is known as the Italian regiment. And he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. And just that, 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 that would be a great summation of your life, right? That you were known as that kind of a person. And, and thinking about the poverty, first century poverty, what was being experienced, this is pretty remarkable that somebody who, um, somebody who is a member of the military of the power that controls the world can still be moved by the, by the poverty of somebody else who's weak. And he prayed. And so this was a man who was Italian, which you can tell by his cool mustache and uh, the way he dressed so well. And that, um, that he was also, it's funny because someone's just moving their shoulders. They're just laughing. They refuse to laugh out loud. Okay. But anyway, nonetheless, so he was Italian. And, um, and, and, but he was practicing the Jewish faith. He saw something about that faith, that, that belief system that made sense to him. And so he was, he was uh, practicing this. Now, what I love about this next portion is that the story goes on, is that as this man is trying to do good, even without maybe a, a real dialed-in connection to God through Jesus Christ, that God moves towards him. And so if you're going to be that person that is on a, quote, a path, you're spiritual, you want to know, I know this, that if you're moving in doing good and being a generous person, God is going to be moving with you or towards you. Look at the verse that follows. So one day about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. And he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? Here's what the angel answered. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. So I want you to send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with another man named Simon, the tanner, whose house is by the sea. So when the angel spoke to him, uh, when the angel spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Pretty remarkable. Now, I, um, I, I, I think some of us would, would like the idea of being visited by an angel. One thing I found is interesting in, throughout the story of the scriptures is that when, whenever an angel appears to a man, it always kind of freaks him out or he's afraid. Whenever an angel appears to a woman, she's totally fine with it. Don't know why. 
there's a lot of probably humor in that somewhere. I just haven't been able to mine it out. So here's Cornelius. <clears throat> and then you might say, meanwhile, back at Peter's, dot, 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 this is the next section. About noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and, and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth, birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, since we live in a culture where nothing about our food is generally, you know, done firsthand, right? We don't, we have, there's whole industries to prepare animals so that... I, I remember getting the impression thinking that when I saw an animal and then an hour later was eating it, that was just a weird thing to me, you know? Because you, you go to the market to eat, bring back prepackaged. So when I read this and he says, kill and eat, it, it doesn't sound that barbaric because this is how this guy, they would have to eat. They would have to actually kill the animal they were going to eat. Um, but, you know, Peter's response is, which is odd, kind of oxymoronic, no, Lord. So you're telling God no. And God says, hey, I want you to do this. He says, oh, no, I'm going to do it. Now, I don't know if Peter thought this was another test. Because this is the guy that, before everyone else did, said, man, I know who you are. <clears throat> some people you're putting off. Some people you know, are uncomfortable by what you're saying, how you act, how you live. But... I know exactly who you are. You're not like anybody else or any of these phony gods. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. The same guy that um, when, when Jesus tells him, this is the direction of my life, he says, oh no, it's never going to happen that way. <laughs> he has to be shut down by Jesus. The same guy that says, man, I, am, I would never leave you. You're always my friend. I love you. You're my rabbi. You're my teacher. You're the Messiah. And, you know, a few days later, less than a week, I don't even know who this guy is. Um, it's the guy that when Jesus tells him after the resurrection, here's the direction of your life, Peter. There's going to come a day when your, your living for me is going to end up in your death. <laughs> he points to John. Well, what about that guy? You know, this is the guy who, like some of us, you, you have great moments of clarity about who God is and, and your desire to, you know, kind of mimic and p pattern your life after his. But there, there's moments when you're just not, you're not at your best and you push back, right? So we're all there. Mostly you, probably, but not me. But we're okay. I've been there. Having a moment right now. So, verse 14. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Wow. Okay, pretty amazing. The voice said to him a second time. Don't you dare call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. So, it's, you know... When I hear folks share with me sometimes, ah, yeah, I've been a believer for three months now and I can't get over this thing. I said, it's okay, really. This is going to be a lifelong process. And, and there'll be some great steps forward and then there'll be some things that just seem to be a little tougher to crack. So Peter was, this is the guy that spent all this time with Jesus. Probably one of the closest friends Jesus had. This is the friend that Jesus drew in in very intimate moments and, and, and powerful 
you know, the resurrection, this, you know, eating with Jesus after that moment and, and, and talking with him and then the Pentecost. And, and in this vision, there's pushback three times. So, verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. When Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Look, Simon, there's three men looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, Well, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. And a holy angel told him to have you come to, this, to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. How many of you remember the film Lars and the Real Girl? Right? Kind of interesting film, right? Um, I, love, I love what it has to say about community. Remember all these guys? All, they, the church family decides to, hey, you know, okay, he's goofy. He's a nut. Who isn't? Let's just go with it, you know? <laughs> and uh, so there's that story about how meaningful or how powerful community can be in healing somebody. There's also this guy who's just struggling to try to figure out how to ever have a relationship. So he's got to start from square one, you know, a pretend person. And then it moves on from there. But I love one of the scenes where he's, he's kind of beginning to, you know, wrap his mind around being a human being. That he asks his brother downstairs in the basement, hey, when did you know that you became a man? And, and by the way, you know, you know, there's that joke that sometimes women have wondered, what, what goes on in men's minds? And the Seinfeld response is, nothing. You know, not a whole lot. But this is one question we generally, most guys will ask themselves. I'm older I'm taller, I may even have a kid, but when do I become a man? I'm male, but when do I become a man? So Lars asks his brother that question, when, when, did, you know, when did you know you became a man? His brother's response was, I guess it's when you do what's right, even when it's hard. I thought, man, I love that answer, that's true. But that's just not being a man, that's just being a human being. Now, I'm going to offer another suggestion to you about this for Peter and Cornelius because they're both having moments that are a little bit out of the ordinary. That, that maturity is, is, may also be the, the, the measured in how quickly you're able to respond to do the right thing when the right thing is shown to you to do. I mean, um, it's, I, I really doubt that most of us are, are surprised what the scriptures teach. Most of us don't have a doubt about what's right or wrong. Most of us pretend not to know. But your maturity and your health of your soul, I think, can be measured by how quickly you can respond to do the right thing when the right thing is shown to you to do. So Peter's having a moment. He's going to be a little slower at the switch than Cornelius. So the next day, he started out, verse, uh, verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. They, uh, the following day, he arrived at Caesarea. <clears throat> Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter said, Peter made him get up. He goes, oh man, come on, stand up. I'm only a man myself. Uh, I, I wonder what Cornelius told his friends. <laughs> you know, how do you invite people to that small group? <laughs> I... I I had this vision, and I had this dream, and they're going, oh, too much pasta again. I had this moment, and I'm, going to, I'm supposed to meet this guy, and he's going to come down to the house and talk to us about what? I don't know. 
What's he look like? Jewish, you know, 5'5". Five, five. <laughs> Come on, what do they look like? Uh, what, what do you mean, what do they look like? They're just in black. Uh, so, uh, what, uh, so how did, you, how did he sell that idea? And, and, and so Cornelius is already moving quicker than Peter is. See, in this story, Cornelius is the hero. Peter's a bit of a villain. And then he pushed back in terms of understanding after all that he experienced from, from the life of Jesus that God was about everybody, not just certain folks. In fact, you know what? On, on a side note, let me suggest this also. <clears throat> Let's stop thinking that we add anything to the conversation regarding God if we exclude Jesus Christ. All our, oh, does, is God like this? Is God like that? And blah, blah, blah. I, I'm not disparaging that. I guess my tone sounded like I did. I mean, I was that guy too. You know what's the awkward conversation and the one that's a little bit more unnerving is, I'm going to even suggest and concede this, take God off the table and put Jesus there first. What was Jesus about? See, if the story of the scriptures is true, I believe they are, then when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, everything that we want to know about God is expressed in the life of Jesus. Everything. Everything. And so when God chooses to give us a visual, you know, a PowerPoint about what he's like, he sends Jesus to help us understand who he is, his personality, his temperament, his, his values. And so it's not so much that God even needs us to love him, obviously, it's as much as he wants to love us. And so even when I read John 13, where I see where Jesus says he knows everything about himself, he knows who he is, where he's going, he knows he has all power, and then it says he wants to express the fullest extent of his love to his disciples, he washes their feet. And so I even get to that uncomfortable position of recognizing God wants to serve us as well, because we, I think sometimes as followers, we get this language of, I want to be used by God and serve God, as if that's the highest expression of our connection to him. When scripture teaches it's God wants to care for us and heal us alright so we um, get back to Peter's story verse 27 so talking with him Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people and he said to him I don't know if there's a tone here well you know I shouldn't be here I'm Jewish you're unclean but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure who are unclean. Well, that's really gracious of you. So I was sent for, and I came without raising my objection. So may I ask what, why you sent for me? Um, and this always reminds me of... Uh, <laughs> this always reminds me of those people that, that, that have no filter, and they should. And I get that, because I'm one of those people. You know, I... I, I was I saying that out loud or just thinking it? But my wife and I, we had these friends over once. They were from the South. Probably answers a lot of questions. And so um, <laughs> we mentioned that we were Mexican. And the woman almost choked. She says, Mexicans? I didn't know you were Mexicans because you're both so clean and sophisticated, you know? <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying. That's exactly what she said. <laughs> and we were friends with her daughter and her husband from church. <laughs> They were really lovely, dear people, but, you know, it, no filter, right? So we told them we were Spaniards and said, <laughs> Conquistadores. 
not those Indians. <laughs> but see, this is like what Peter reminds me of. Yeah, I shouldn't be here, but God has told me to be here. You know what I mean? Like, really? I could have been left unsaid. You know, you get to, hey, how can I help? You know, I've got an A, I'm an apostle. So Cornelius tells him what happened. Hey, listen, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. Three in the afternoon, suddenly a, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer, remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a jumper for Simon, who was called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Peter is just... I mean, you know, he's having his worldview shifted. He, he's, you know, he, this is not computing for him, or would not have a moment ago. And so God had to even prepare him with that vision. Now here's another thing I find interesting is that somehow we get the impression that, you know, um, let me tell somebody about Jesus or let me bring God into the situation. You know, that's a little bit conceited. Everyone is having a moment. God is way ahead of the curve. At best, we're catching up to move in the same rhythm and pattern that God is moving. We're not bringing God to anybody. We may be the spokesperson, but you can see here the God that was already moving. Peter had to you know, catch up. <clears throat> and so at some level, we're not really bringing as much as we're maybe helping people orient a little bit further and dialing them in, connecting them. Maybe ushering in closer to a Jesus moment, a Jesus future. One of the things I, I walked away with from being in India recently was, I shared this with a couple of people, I, I, don't, know if I, I don't recall if I shared this here yet, that I was okay with the notion of, you know, let's say, Jesus, God, the whole thing there, and, and taking direction, and then going to do what, what, what was needed to do. And I didn't realize how much I had really, you know, kept that in my unconscious understanding of how I was operating. The difference in there, is, in, and maybe because was, there was a lack of distraction, um, there was no movies, there was, uh, there was no soda, like, that probably helped a lot too, no coffee. But the, the, all kidding aside, it was a sense of moving with God, not taking directions from God. It was completely different for me. So reading this story, I find that Peter has probably had that maybe similar mindset of like, oh, okay, I know Jesus is the master and the Lord. He's had some powerful moments that none of us have experienced. Witnessed the resurrection. Saw incredible things happen. His life, the lives of others. But for the first time, he's moving with Christ. Not just taking direction. He tells... Cornelius tells Peter the whole story of what's happening. Verse 34, wow. I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism. Now, if there is a verse, you know, if you're the note taker, if you're what... If there is one verse, I think, that would be maybe meaningful to have this dialed in is this and have a conversation with Christ. What, what am I showing favoritism about? See, I, I'm pretty sure all of us have a place that some of us, we just can't get into the notion of thinking that that individual will be interested in Jesus or the Jesus that I know. Now, for some of us, it's the churches that we left. <clears throat> They're too conservative. 
I mean, they voted Republican for crying out loud. How can they possibly know, you know? Or they voted Democrat. How can they possibly know, you know? Or they came from a certain lifestyle, or they came from a certain music scene, or they came from, you know, they, you know, whether it's tattooed or they don't have tattoos, the hair is long, it's not short. All of us have some impression that if they're that, if they're from this group, they're not interested in Jesus. Or, God, this is the worst, this is the worst, that God isn't interested in them. So, I mean, whatever, you know, damaged, dark individual you might think, or disinterested individual, understand that, that God is moving towards that person faster than you can imagine. Especially the one who, I think in some ways, is so searching. How can I put this? There are just some folks that have, have lived such a broken life that they prefer abuse. That's the person that God has dialed into. The ones that sometimes we overlook and think, oh my gosh, they're so crazy. How can I ever, you know, they're not ever going to be interested in Jesus. Really? It seems to me that they're probably searching the most. So he goes on to say, verse 35, that God shows no favoritism but accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what's right. So you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, which is in the south, beginning in Galilee in the north, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Man, they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and, and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. And so he was um, speaking this and just speaking the truth and sharing what was going on. There were people already having a moment with God themselves. Um, I would say probably one of the most in, um, incredible things to find is that, you know, when you think you're having that first conversation with people about Jesus, that they've had a soul-to-soul conversation with God for a while. That they just might not even understood who the voice was. Some of, some of you here in this room, you might not consider yourself a follower. Uh, you know, and I, that's fine. I'm, I'm really glad that you're here. But I'm going to suggest that, that you're probably that person having that conversation with God as well. You just may not know it. It's, it's the voice that sort of gives you hope, but you want to you know, hold on to it, but you feel like, am I fooling myself into thinking something is good when it may not be? It's the voice that's, that maybe doesn't answer your questions, but it questions you. Like, where am I going? What am I doing? Why, why am I here again? You know, like, like, it's that voice. 
It's, it's the voice that doesn't um, give you definition, but, but tries to define who you are. When you begin to ask questions of yourself. It's the voice that sometimes doesn't let you quite settle. Now, it's not a, a damning, critical voice. That's dark, and there's a voice that will speak to you that way. But it, it's a voice that seems to ask questions of us. And if there's one thing I've seen throughout the scriptures, is that that seems to be God's way of speaking to us. So draw us, draw us out by questions. Kind of coax belief and coax faith out by questions. And so, um, verse 45, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Verse 47, then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? Because they received the Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus, and he asked Peter to stay for a few days. Now, I, I wish the story kind of ended here. It'll go on. But there's this uh, moment in Galatians where um, Peter is hanging out with uh, people who are not Jewish. You know, he's enjoying carnitas and everything else and lobster and uh, Macedlan style. And so he was... <laughs> and then some Jewish people from Jerusalem showed up and, and other Jewish people. And he was... He pulls back from uh, the Mexican believers, and then he starts hanging out with the Jewish believers, and, and Paul was there. Yeah, I know. It's always a Mexican thing. I'm not about my race, though. So, um, <laughs> stupid. So, um, and Paul calls him on the carpet. Peter, publicly. That's a little awful, Right? Peter, I can't believe you're being a hypocrite. When these guys were here, you were totally fine hanging out with these people, enjoying them, you know, you know, quinceañeras and everything. You were all about that. Now they're here, and you know, now it's a foxtrot. And, and what is wrong with you? How can you deny that, that you know what Jesus is all about? And so he had to, you know, be tuned up again. And so there was a bit of villainy against the grace and, and the kindness of God in the life of others. Now, here's what I want to take away. I, I don't know what your limit might be, where you might hit a certain wall, like, I, yeah, these are, this seems good. I see what God is doing here, but I just eh, I can't get into that moment with these folks. I don't know if it's true. <clears throat> is maybe, okay, step back. Ask yourself, if there was a new expression of God's kindness being shown, what would it look like? There are other well-meaning, great men and women who are followers of Jesus that um, push back on expression of how Jesus is morphed into a culture. And usually what I, I find is, is standard is what they do. You follow? I mean, and everyone does this. I mean, you know, you know, the Amish stopped at one point, right? They said, this is as good as Christianity gets, right here. No zippers or buttons, right? That's too proud. No light bulbs. This is Christianity. Like, there's something attractive about that life, I guess, too. How many of you saw Witness, the film with Harrison Ford, right? 
our Orthodox friends, they stopped at a certain level. This is the best Christianity is going to be right here. This is the art of it. This is how it's expressed, right? Everyone has stopped and said, this is the best. This is how it's going to be. I don't care what church it is. And I'm not dumping on denominations. Everybody has stopped and said, this is the best. That's how it's going to be. Nothing else makes sense. And if you change it, you're not really following Jesus. Uh, and I, I wonder, you know, when, 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 when my grandkids are going to church, I, one of the things that Lily and I talk about is we don't want to become those people where if they're not in a hotel or a bar, they go, what are you doing? That's the best. That's where you're supposed to be, you know. Why are you singing hymns? No, you know. And they might go totally conservative on us, you know, and go Amish. I don't know. They, it could happen. Long square beards for some reason. Probably not. But the point is, we, we, we battle that we don't want to be inflexible to whatever Jesus is going to do into something new. But some of us here have a place where you just can't get, you won't go past it. This is how Jesus is expressed. This is how the God life is lived. This is what you're allowed. This is what you do. Now, I, I'll, I'll tell you the truth as opposed to everything else I was saying. Why do I say that? Because <laughs> it's true. Uh, the, the reality is there's, there's, there's four or five things that are just non-negotiable to me. Who Jesus is, what the scriptures are, a, a few things. But I'm pretty open to everything else. Because I don't think God has stopped recreating Jesus into cultures and environments and the lives of people. Peter had one understanding of what Jesus was going to be like, and that was it. And he needed to, you know, be adjusted Cornelius had no preconceived notion. He was open to whatever was going to be done. So this is why at some level, I, I really do enjoy the conversations with people who are either completely brand new or not a follower yet, because they don't have a template of what it's supposed to be like. And they're more flexible in discovering and expressing and believing in Jesus than sometimes we are. Let me, um, I guess uh, I'll close with a couple of them. Um, quick questions here is that for people who are of faith um, you know, how flexible are you? are you? Are you open to hearing what God is saying of who to speak to about Christ? You know, you might be at a, I don't know How many of you have written off your family? Don't, don't answer. I mean, I don't want to raise your hand. Oh, I hate them. You know, it's, <laughs> they're jerks, you know. I mean, it's... I get that. So, I, mean, I know some of you have moved away to put distance, geographical distance between your family, right? And some of you are just emotionally cut off from them. You have to live in the same house or in the same city, but you just... You know, I get that. I was that guy. But, um, but some of you have... Some of us, we, we've written off our families or certain friends. And gosh, you know, maybe, just maybe, God is not done with their story. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if that's how you identify yourself, then you might be the person who's going to bring peace and, and news about Jesus that, that God wants to share with them. Now, so here's the question. How quickly are you mature enough to be flexible to respond if Christ speaks to you? Cornelius was like, oh, awesome. Peter, 
I love the fact that most guys in the scripture have to be knocked out for God to speak to them, you know? Trance, fell asleep, took a, you know, Adam, from Adam to Peter, everybody has to be knocked out to, to be spoken to. Um, and uh, how many of us have just, are not willing, not open to hear who it is that we ought to be maybe sharing our life with openly? Because uh, we just, they're in that category of, I will never bring this subject up with these people. See, I, uh, in the scriptures, Jesus, God, is the hero. We get to join the story and move with them. What I would, would, would loathe to become is the person who was kind of, you know, scratching the floor, being dragged along, or pushing back, saying, oh, no, no, this is not how we do it, Jesus. That they, they surely wouldn't be interested in you. And then become a villain. Um, I'm going to close in a moment of prayer and then we have a few announcements for you as well. Father, thank you for loving us. And first, as different people where they are in their story here, <clears throat> on behalf of this community, I want to thank you for restoring sanity or sobriety or um, in many cases uh, breaking addictions to different unhealthy acts and darkness, um, forgiving sins, bringing peace. Uh, many of us just lived in such anxiety that we just never even believed that was peace was possible. So we used to anesthetize ourselves in so many other ways. Thank you for being the Father who doesn't get annoyed with us or hits us. Thank you for being faithful. Uh, thank you for being kind. For and maybe one, In many cases, maybe the first expression or understanding of kindness and love came from you. Thank you for serving this community, for loving this community. Thank you for forgiving us of all our sins and darkness, things that we preferred doing, things that we just couldn't stop from doing. So for that, we thank you that you allowed us to experience you through your son, Jesus Christ. Now, here's what we pray. Help us to be people who are so broad-minded that our vision of your love for humanity matches your son Jesus. That uh, we see the Imago Dei, your image, in every person. The person that smells, the one that's just weird that are in our family, the, the jerk on the road. Um, you know, help me, help us see you in all of these folks. And that you are intensely interested in them and have a desire to connect to them. So help us not to be those people that say, push back and say, no, Lord, this is not how it's done. But to be mature and flexible to respond quickly to your direction. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.